Welcome, everyone, to episode 190 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Shelton, on this week's episode. We're getting in touch with our inner child with a look at Celine Shiama's stirring family fantasy drama, Petite Maman. Before we get to that, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, happy birthday. Happy belated birthday, I guess, as of the time of recording and the time that people will be listening to this. How are you doing? Do you feel 27? Did you enjoy your birthday weekend? Lots of questions for you. Yeah, no, it's been a great last few days. Um, first of all, my my mind was blown uh, today when I discovered that one of my favorite films, Francis Ha, uh, was actually released on May 16th, which is my birthday. Um, and it's especially ironic because I had been posting a scene from the movie yesterday um, in which uh, Michael Zegan's character, Benji, refers to uh, Francis saying 27 is old as I am turning 27. Um, so I, and I find that movie to be incredibly relatable and the character of Francis to be incredibly relatable. So um, the fact that I learned today that it linked up with my birthday is kind of incredible. Uh, one of those weird universe co coincidence things, but um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a great time uh, putting that aside uh, in, in New York, came up to, to visit you and, uh, we got into some shenanigans. Uh, the Rina Sawayama concert was really fun. We checked out um, the Mets game on Saturday, which was a great time. And we went to see this uh, movie. I finally got to go to Lincoln Center, which after hearing you talk about it for quite a while, um, kind of like you getting to experience Aperture when you uh, came here um, a month or so ago. Uh, and so it yeah. was great to see your home ballpark there and uh and get to experience uh this movie in the theater i also saw pleasure while i was there at the angelica film center so i'm making the rounds of the new york city indie theaters and uh, it has been a fun experience yeah it was a great weekend um you know we also got to go to a mets game so we got to go, got to, go to the other new york baseball park that we hadn't been to while you were here got to eat the hot dogs we tried both the normal hot dog and the shake shack hot dog between us so we thoroughly covered the hot it dog game true. of the Mets Cover part. Bases. Yeah, I just did some quick Googling, Scott, and you would you like to know, <laughs> this is going to be really funny, I think, another film that came out on your birthday? We talked oh about gosh. it right before. We talked about it right before starting recording. Uh, Top Gun? Top Gun came out on your birthday. Wow, okay. Uh, I, yeah. I have not seen Top Gun. I have started watching it before we were recording this i do not expect that it is going to be on the same level as francis offered me i'm going to just go out on a limb here and say mm -hmm. that and predict that but yeah. we will see um there's Top another great one on the other hand yeah there's another great one on this it? list too though that you're gonna that we have not okay, talked what, about this film what year is it 2002 i don't know panic room oh, no i wish that'd be amazing no Any i, I haven't this week hasn't come up on the box office game yet so I yeah okay uh it's a Star Wars film, Attack of the Clones. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> this is really bringing things down after the Francis Holland news. But I just thought yeah, it would be no. fun to look up what movies have come out on your birthday. I very, well could have, I very well could have gone to see that for my seventh birthday. Uh, I did see it in theater, so very, it, it may very well have been that. But, uh, yeah, wow, well, I don't want to remember that one too much. Yeah, st stay tuned for, I guess, next year in March to find out what movies came out on my birthday. Uh, yes. We won't be looking that up right now. So, <laughs> we've wasted enough time probably on this bit. Well, I'm glad it was great to have you here, as always. Bummer we didn't get to actually do this recording in person, but I think we decided to watch um, City blow it against West Ham 
and a 83rd minute penalty or something like that instead of recording a podcast episode. So that was brilliant. Um, Loved, loved, really enjoyed that. That was fantastic. Um, Well, uh, but you know what? With that, all that said, why don't we talk about this week's film? It is a review of the French film, as I already mentioned, Petite Maman, written and directed by Celine Sciamma. Petite Maman takes a bit of a different tact than the French auteur's previous film. That was 2019's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And this one tells the story of an eight-year-old French girl, Nelly, played by Josephine Sands, whose maternal grandmother has just passed away. The film opens with Nellie walking through the ward her grandmother lived on, saying goodbye to the other patients as her parents pack up her grandmother's room. Shortly after, Nellie and her parents venture off to Nellie's mother, Nina Marusi's Marion's childhood home, in order to empty that out as well. While there, Marion's depression and sadness is apparent, and she ultimately decides to leave in the middle of the night without saying goodbye to Nellie. The next day, after Nellie discovers this, and while her father remains to pack up what is left in the house, Nellie goes into the woods to play and meets a girl her own age who is very kind and in the process of building a fort, inviting Nellie to help her. Nellie quickly seems to bond with the girl, and the rest of the film explores the relationship between these two girls, as well as the relationship between a child and her mother. Scott, eagle-eared listeners of the podcast will know I've already shown my hand a bit, about what I think of Petite Maman. As I did watch this last October at the New York Film Festival, and it was on, or at least it was referenced in one of my lists. I won't uh, spoil that for people who uh, maybe didn't listen to those episodes. It was on one of my lists at the end of the year last year. So uh, w- with all that said, maybe we'll, we'll, I'm curious to hear what you thought of this film. Were you as emotionally stirred as many critics who reviewed this film? Or did you find the whole affair more emotionally distant, possibly like how Nellie viewed her mother in the start of this film. Yeah, so this was my first <laughs> Celine Sciamma um, experience. Um, a Portrait of a Lady on Fire, despite being, you know, one of the most acclaimed movies of that year and acclaimed by you too, certainly. Um, he is maybe like my biggest blind spot movie of the past few years since we started doing this podcast, maybe even. Um, it's definitely up there. Uh, and I do plan to catch up with it uh, in the next few weeks as part of a movie watching challenge that I am doing this year. Um, and I have to say that I am only my, my desire to catch up with it is only amplified after seeing, um, petite Maman cause I was blown away by this movie, um, at the emotional depth of this film in only 72 minutes. If you take out the credits, not even 70 minutes, um, of screen time, um, I was, you know, moved to, to tears. I thought it was delightful at times. Her direction, Siama's direction and, and writing, um, it's incredible how perfectly she balances the tone of this movie between just these very simple dialogue-free, like there's not a whole lot of dialogue in, in the whole movie, but uh, these very simple interactions between the two little girls um, and you know, just watching their spontaneous connection and friendship unfold, but also the way that she very clearly conveys the weight that is, um, you know, under, that is an undercurrent to the, you know, innocuous vibes. You know, we're just watching them hang out. We're watching kids be kids. Um, We're just watching these very adorable little girls just, you know, do what, what, 
kids their age do and uh, form this friendship with each other. Um, it, so it could, in the, in that regard, it could be viewed as sort of a light film. Again, especially since it's only 69 minutes without the credits. But I think that would be just missing a, what makes the movie so great, which is, um, again, the, as you kind of alluded to there in your description of the plot, which is um, the emotional stakes of what's going on. And um, it's not really a twist, I don't think, to, you know, say what the what what is revealed early on about the relationship between these two girls, which is that the um, the other girl is Marion, who um, Nellie encounters is basically the younger is the childhood version of her of her mother. And it's a you know supernatural element that comes into play but again to the film's credit it doesn't like get any involved at all in like trying to explain how this happens or anything it's just uh something that happens maybe in the mind of of nelly more than anything um, but the movie isn't really concerned with like the actual you know sci-fi of it or whatever or trying to unpack um the fantasy how this, there's no how sci-fi in it yeah yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Just fantasy. you know yeah. what i mean you know yeah. what i mean um it's not really interested in trying to unpack how this is happening it's more just concerned of with that it is happening and what does it mean to the characters um and yeah it's just it's a beautiful film um it's an easy watch um but again it's also very moving um i think the way that it very simply um you know gets at these themes of the relationship between um the the mom and the little girl and the little girl who's probably a little nelly who's a little precocious for her age um showing a lot of emotional intelligence and trying to um learn um, kind of similar to another movie from last year come on come on in a way um it's about kind of trying to learn what makes her mother in particular tick uh, you know adults in her life the adults in her life tick and um try using this example of her you know mother's childhood try and sort of change the future in a way um by trying to um, repair the relationship in a way uh, that she has with her mother and again she feels her mother growing distance um and you know there's also the context of her grandmother having just died and nelly not really getting the opportunity at least she feels like to have given her a proper goodbye um so i thought that some of that stuff some of the relationship that forms because of course the grandmother does come into play too when she goes to visit marion at her house um, we have a much younger version of her too and so th that was some of the most moving stuff in the movie to me was the relationship between um, the grandmother and nelly and you know, knowing what we know about the final day, final days sort of of um, the grandmother's life and um, the role that Nellie feels like she didn't get to play in in that. So, um, you know, there's there's a nostalgia, nostalgic type um, vibe to it as well. That really works. I, I think of, you know, just sort of asking those questions of what would you do um, if you could, you know, go back to this period and if you could see your parent as a child and um how how does it help you understand them better because there's so much that nelly feels like she isn't understanding about her mother and that her mother hasn't revealed to her there's a whole conversation that goes on of 
um, you know, where she says to her father that, you know, you never really tell us anything about your childhood. Um, you know, you tell us very basic things about what you liked or something like that. But, um, you know, we, we, we never get into the deep, uh, you know, stories about your childhood was, you know, was mom scared when she got, went to get the surgery, basically, that is a, a detail of the plot. Um, so I think all that stuff works really well. And, um, you know, trying, try getting at sort of the simplicity and openness with what, with which ch children express their emotions. Um, the fact that Nellie has to, you know, come across this childhood version of her mother in order to truly sort of, um, get on the same emotional wavelength as her, I think, um, speaks to that. So. I thought it was a, a really spectacular film, honestly. Um, again, I I'm, was so impressed with um, how much Siyama is able to do in the limited runtime and how delicately she balances um, the, you know, just delightful sort of hangout movie nature of with some actual, you know, emotional beats and ideas about grief and, you know, loss and regret that um, are not, you know, what you would see in a children's film, right? Like, you could show this movie to kids, right? I think kids could certainly get um, something out of this movie. Um, but also, you know, there's a lot of big ideas there and um, themes that are only going to, you know, connect with people who have lived more life. So um, it's a incredible achievement, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think there's just so much to unpack about sort of the it's almost like the the generational understanding that Nellie gains from having this window into her mother's childhood. I think there's so many different angles with that you can even approach this film in terms of like your own experiences and what you as a viewer would get out of it. I think there's maybe the obvious, which is Nellie emotionally connecting with her mother who she views as someone who is not not necessarily emotionally available to her but i also think it 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 also provides an interesting one and this is something that maybe i focused more on in a second viewing it that that there's this angle where i think you can take it as like a the, from the mother's perspective right um you know as as a child again not i don't mean to get too bogged down and like did this really happen or what like how does this actually work or whatever like i don't i don't mean to get bogged down in that but like you know th with the the future mother as a child you know marion as a child what this child is able to to glean from having this like you know I interaction almost the reverse right that the, what this person learns from the interaction with the you know their future child as opposed to the future child's interaction with you know her mother in the past and, and I think that there, there's like a really, there's a real richness to that almost like two-way um, generational knowledge sharing. Because I think that Nellie obviously learns a lot and, and learns about the context of, you know, her mother's relationship with her grandmother, which I think is a really important relation. And, you know, you, you mentioned this as well. It's like, it's such a critical relationship for understanding Marion um, as an adult, right? I, I mean, there's... Not to not to get ahead, but it's my favorite line in the movie. It was my favorite line in the movie the first time I saw it. Still is true uh, when I when I had the second watch. But there's just there's just sort of like this heartbreaking vulnerability, you know, almost right at the end of the of the film, where Nellie 
and the child Marion are having like this lost conversation before she goes Marion as a child goes to have this operation done and talk and Nellie is saying how you know her mother is sad all the time and basically you know pondering whether Nellie is the reason for her sadness and Marion as a child you know responds to her and says you know you're not the source of my sadness um, I think there's just sort of this, you didn't like, invent my sadness. I think is what she says. But, yeah, it's it's really interesting because I think when I when I originally watched it, the translation was different. Um, but yeah, you didn't oh, invent okay. my yeah, sadness. I think it is how it was translated in the, in this uh, in this second viewing. Yeah, it's a great but, line. But I just feel like there's such there's such like an emotional, I don't know, fracture just just really sitting with that. Um, for me as a viewer, recognizing that for for Nelly, it's you know it's this whole mix of things, right? Like. I feel like she doesn't really quite know as I, as I think that she often does in response to these revelations, she doesn't really emote or react at all. She just sort of like ponders what is told her. And I think that's done really expertly in terms of the performance by Josephine Sands. But there's, I feel like when you, when you juxtapose that to the end of the film where she goes back, you know, to we'll call it the present. And uh, when she walks back to her house, to her, her father clearing out the house and, she finds her mother sitting on the floor in the living room. There's just like such a, I don't know. There's just something really like emotionally raw and naked about that whole, that whole, you know, what well, a scene when you see them reunited because she's expressed this deep fear that her mother is like abandoned her um, because of how sad that Nellie makes her. And then to like have her be there when she returns um, right after she watched her leave. I just find it just so emotionally breathtaking in a way that, I mean, frankly, that in a way that the portrait of a lady on fire did with, you know, not in a, not in a similar way, but just this, the way that Shyama is able to compose these sort of emotional crescendos in her film. Um, it's pretty, and, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And the way she uses the physical uh, distance between them as well, I think is really effective. And especially in the scene you're talking about, like she comes and sits down next to her, but mm -hmm. like literally right next to her, like they're almost touching um at, you know to signify that there is a closeness that has now sort of um a barrier have both brought down almost. Yeah, yeah exactly but constantly throughout the movie you're seeing like that barrier being brought down but then put back up like nelly goes yeah. to, to sleep with her mother on the couch and then the next morning she wakes up and her mother's she's gone, gone or is in yeah. the kitchen or um, no she's gone i think that's yeah. actually when she's she gone. leaves for yeah. yeah um and there's a there's a moment very early on when they're riding in the car and she's like passing her the snacks from the back seat and then like reaches her arms over the seat at the very end to, um, to hug her. And it's an, again, it's like Nellie reaching out across the distance between them basically to try and bring her mother closer. Um, so I think some of that stuff, again, that's like the show, not tell filmmaking that I like love in so many movies um, that I think speaks to yeah. you know really really special filmmakers when they can do that and, and it's such a um, quality of her style and you know not not it, i think it's less of a factor in this film to be honest but also one of the things that i've noticed now and you know i've only seen two of her movies but she has a very particular and very surgical use of um music of score yeah um i think it only she only uses music a few times in the whole film also true for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. She only uses music twice in the whole film um, in very specific moments, which um, 
I'll let you in on a secret. They're big moments when she uses it, uh, <laughs> which I think is also true of of this film. But I, I almost yeah. find it to be used differently, right? It's not used in these big emotional crescendos like I would say it is used in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I think rather it, it's sort of used in these like freeing moments of jubilation. I mean, the the most obvious of which is when Nellie and Marion as a child go and, you know, they go row the little inflatable boat in the river like they're going out and having fun uh, for the last time before. You know, they know that they're parting ways and Marion's going to have her surgery. And there's just this like out of nowhere, this just blast of upbeat music. Um, and it's sort of the first time I watched it, it was like very, I don't know, it was almost off putting at first. But then you you realize how jubilant this moment is compared to everything else in the film. And not that you need to be reminded of that with the music, but it, it just really enhances, I think, those particular moments it, just emotionally. You know, whether it's a crescendo or whether it's just the sort of like outburst of joy, um, it's able to do that really effectively. Yeah, definitely. The like music of the future, I think, is actually what the yeah. track is called, uh, because that's yeah. kind of the conversation that they have when she puts on the headphones and knows oh, this is the music of the future. And then yeah. uh, it's like it's jarring, uh, you know, Absolutely. again, like it, yeah. for a reason, for a purpose. Um, I, that's like. I know there's probably music in other parts of the film, but like that is literally the only time I can remember there being music in the entire movie. Um, I think there's I a think soft score in the background of one other scene towards the end okay. of the film. Because it's something, because Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it's so noticeable. It was something mm -hmm. that I was paying attention to in this film. Um, yeah, and, and it's, I think there's like one other scene with, with, with music in the background. Okay. But yeah, yeah no, I, I totally agree. It was, um, again, very purposeful, just like everything in this movie is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we're going to keep talking about a lot of these points, I think, but I think it's really worthwhile at this point to talk about Nellie, to talk about Josephine Sands. I mean, her sister, Gabrielle, plays the child version of her mother, Marion, which I don't think I mentioned in, at the beginning. But Josephine is the one who's sort of in it from you know, beginning to end. And, you know, you, you mentioned other child performances from last year, you know, whether it be Come On, Come On, there are several others as well over the course of the year, I think. I don't know if it's I would say it's a, it was a strong year. I mean, Belfast had had a good performance, but but it was a year of notable um, sure. young actor performances. I think this is definitely one of them. It would have been for me um, had we talked about it in more detail. Curious what, what you think. I mean, I thought it was a pretty spectacular performance from her, um, but curious to hear more of your thoughts. Yeah, definitely. And I think her performance also kind of strikes the same balance that the film is striking because she yeah. carries like this weight and confidence about her. Mm hmm where she seems older than her age, right? You can uh, understand, like, it, it doesn't take you out of it when she's making, like, some pretty astute observations about, like, the world yeah, for around an eight -year -old. her, the people around her. Yeah, for mm -hmm. an eight-year-old. Um, but also, like, I, what she still is able to ground herself with, like, these moments of actually being an eight-year-old. Like, when they're playing the games, or maybe the, the most uh, prominent one is when they're making the pancakes, right? And yeah. Um, they're just like giggling and laughing and, you know, throwing the flower at each other and everything. And like, that mm -hmm. is like, it's a little girl being a little girl. Um, and so it just, it feels so raw and like pure, like in a way that I feel like, of course, Celine Siama like had a role in that, but like, it, it's not something that you could just like teach or manufacture. I feel like it's, it's some yeah. of that has to come from the performer themselves, just like having a natural instinct for this sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I, it's one of those things where I don't feel like you don't, as a director, I wouldn't imagine that you coach it more than yeah. you create an environment where, you know, these two children feel comfortable being children. Yeah. 
right? And then you let them do the rest. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think that's a good way to describe what's going on. Um, and, and, you know, with Come On, Come On, right, which is, again, is a film I loved. It was in my top 10. The one thing I did say about it was that I felt like Woody Norman almost came off as a little too precocious at times, like a little too, I don't know, astute for his age. And I feel like they could have fallen into that trap here again. But like her yeah. performance um, is able to to, you know, balance the two sides of being, you know, smart for her age and they do a good job of establishing it right so it's just like not out of left field like at the very beginning of the movie she's helping like the old people in the facility where her grandmother was like Mm -hmm. doing the puzzles and then we see her help her grandmother again later in the movie the younger version of her do a puzzle do these like crossword puzzle type things uh, word puzzles and so they do a good job of establishing that like she is smart for her age just in those like simple little moments so then when she makes these observations um it doesn't feel like it's coming out of left field and and then again like i said she she really grounds it so yeah i think it's a it's a brilliant child performance um i was captivated by her and her sister for the entire movie and um it's it's definitely among the most memorable child performances of the last few years and like i said i think speaks to them as natural performers as much as it does uh speaks to celine siama's direction of them yeah i mean it just seems like i mean i think the performance is is so good i i definitely understand the sort of precocious comparisons to something like come on come on for me you know no this is not really meant to be a comment about you know come on come on either but it's just like i just found something so accessible about this performance and this character Whereas sometimes I didn't always, I didn't necessarily feel that way as much with a come on, come on performance. And I think maybe that's kind of what you're getting at as well, saying that it felt too precocious at times because the, you know, this character of, of Nellie certainly is that she seems exceptional, at least in some respects for a child her age, but it never feels like unrealistic or removed from what you might expect for, for this person either. I mean, both of them, Josephine and Gabrielle, they both did a fantastic job. It, it, you know, it, it starts off as it, you kind of think this is going to end up being some sort of like two-hander with the adult version um, of Marion with her mother and then she kind of just disappears for, you know, half the movie, not more. Oh, granted, that's like, you know, 35 minutes, so it's not that long, but, <laughs> um, you know, a good chunk of the film, she just, she just goes away. But to that extent, do you want to talk about either, you know, adult Marion or or Nellie's father uh, comment on their performances at all there or the you mentioned no. the grandmother earlier as so you can comment about that as well yeah I mean I I, I liked um, the father and the grandmother like I think the father is just gives a very like the actor there he gives a really warm like inviting performance um, mm-hmm. I like the scene where um, he she's helping to shave when he decides to shave um, you know again that's just one of those kind of pure kid and parent interactions that um is so hard to capture i think in in an authentic form on on screen but she's able to do it here um so i think he's uh he's he's a great it's a smart character it's a well-written character as sort of a counterpoint to um again the mother who is feels cold feels distant isn't even there is physically distant is literally distant for most of the movie and the father who's kind of always just around the corner and 
um, you know, is willing to talk with you, to engage with you, but maybe can't connect with you in the same way that the mother can and that Nellie wants to connect with her mother, obviously. Um, and she has a great sort of friendship in a way with her father, but like there's something deeper there that it feels like she needs, she has to engage with her mother. She has to get on her mother's wavelength in order to um, unlock. And so I think that it's a, you know, again, it's a smart, it's a smart character to have in there to, you know, balance out a lot of the different personalities that we see. So that's all I really have to say, I guess, about the other characters, just because they're not on screen a ton, but they're all yeah you know, strong for what they are. Sure. And I, and I also think the element of the, that you're talking about the father is that I think Nellie wants something more from her mother because she doesn't get that warmth from her mother that she does from her father. Like there's something missing yeah. there. or She feels like there's something missing there between her and her mother. And so she wants the, the what you're talking about, that desire to unlock something more. I think a lot of that is unlocking a level of like a feeling of warmth or of love that not that she doesn't know exists, but doesn't feel exists um, in the relationship with her mother, which I think is a is a big is a big part of it. Sure. I do think overall, though, as a you know, the performance is really strong, but the relationships, I think, are obviously like the sort of the thematic crux of the whole film, it feels like. And and. I'm curious because you you had mentioned it as a as a point that you sort of locked onto earlier on, and we'll talk about a couple of different relationships here. But to start with, between Nellie and her grandmother, something that you mentioned, um, you know, you, we get a couple scenes, maybe two scenes, uh, actually between the two of them interacting with each other. But it seemed like something stru really struck you in that relationship, and I'd love for you to maybe dig into that a little bit more. I think it, I think it was just that idea, right, of like getting a second chance to say the goodbye because they set it up like early yeah. on, right? Like when Absolutely. they're having the conversation with she's having the conversation with her mom, one of the few conversations that they have, and her mom's like, you know, well, how did you want to say goodbye? Nellie says like I didn't get to say goodbye or whatever. Um, well, how would you have wanted to say it? And she does like a little hug and says goodbye or whatever. And so the whole time, you know, when the grandmother comes back at the picture, I'm like expecting that, okay, they're going to give us a nice little payoff here. Um, and it didn't exactly pay off in the way that I was expecting, but it honestly, it might've paid off in a better way. Cause they, they still get to have a moment of goodbye, right. Where you feel like, yeah. It's a fulfilling moment for Nellie. Like she feels like she actually gets to have the moment she wanted, but it doesn't mm -hmm. play out exactly like we see it play out when she's on the couch with her mom. Actually, she like, they have like a physical short physical embrace as you know, the grandmother is driving away uh, to take Mary into her operation again, almost like mirroring her mother's action of like physically going away, physically leaving. Right. And especially when this comes right after the scene you mentioned earlier about like, you know, you didn't invent my sadness or whatever. It's kind of universalizing her experience in a way of, or at least it's something that she can connect with her mother about of like, you know, here's the, the mother figure, like physically distancing um, herself, not because maybe she doesn't care, but um, because she's got her own stuff to deal with and, yeah. Um, so I, I liked that that sort of, again, mirrored the relationship that was going on between Nellie and her adult mother um, mm -hmm. in that the last moment she gets to have with her grandmother the second time 
is her grandmother driving away. Um, so I thought, again, very smart choice that didn't go exactly where I was expecting it to go. Um, and maybe it, in the immediate moment, I was like, that wasn't quite the emotional payoff that I was expecting. But then when I think about it more, like I actually think it works even better. So yeah, um, yeah, I totally yeah, agree I with think, that. I think that's a that's a great moment. And yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I just like that they're able to have they're they're able to have some small moments too that like like you know when they do the puzzle together or whatever they just like what's going to happen you know twenty years from then um, mm -hmm. they're going to be doing puzzles together and whatever so that you know the context of that so that sort of adds some weight to that scene but also it's nelly connecting with a mother figure in a way that we haven't seen her connecting with her actual mother in the movie yeah I, I totally agree with your point around it not maybe not being the emotional payoff you you might expect um from sort of that conversation in the first half of the film but it for me it, like you it, it works all the better for it because when i'm think when i think about what Nellie really gains from that from those interactions with her grandmother yes part of it is getting to have that you know quote unquote do over of your last interaction with someone you've lost but an even bigger part of it i think is actually contextualizing and understanding her mother better so i think those cold distant interactions yeah. or i shouldn't even say yeah i mean distance right like it's these sort of like emotional interactions at arm's length that she gets with her grandmother and that she observes you know between marion and her grandmother i think that that is really important to sort of like that that generational understanding or knowledge passing down um you know from mother to daughter from mother to daughter because i think nelly realizes that in in many ways it, it feels like her mother has learned how to parent from her mother right like the the sort of relationship that nelly i think probably sees between her and her mother probably feel similar to the relationship she sees between her mother and her grandmother in these moments. And I think a part of that is sort of, you know, like not, it's not carefree, but the nonchalance involved with, you know, this sort of, you know, goodbye moment she has, it's, it's still not the goodbye she wants to, to have with her grandmother, but it's the one that, that she gets nevertheless. And I do think that that, that sort of relationship or interaction, however you want to describe it is really critical. I think to like sort of the, development of Nellie's understanding of what's going on. And I think that's, it, it felt really, really critical in that sense. Um, maybe in a less obvious way than the interaction she gets with, you know, her mother as a child. And I think that's the other major relationship probably worth talking about here before we wrap things up. Just the relationship in child form between Nellie and Marion. And, you know, we, we've talked at sort of like one level about how it's so fantastical. I mean, quite literally in terms of the meaning of that word to have this opportunity to interact with the younger version of your parent, but it's not all like deep conversations. You know, at first Nellie's understandably freaked out about it, literally runs away. The first time she goes to, to Marion's house, um, you know, in the past, but then sort of warms up to the idea of it and, and warms up as sort of, I think it's important to note this that you know warms up as as Marion is very warm towards her way warmer than her mother is to her um as an adult um but yeah what did what did you think of these interactions and and how that relationship developed 
Yeah, I mean, I just like that. I was going to say to that point, I like that they didn't like they didn't make a big deal about it, right? Like, yeah, the first time, yeah, she kind of gets freaked out about it. She runs away or whatever. But like, it doesn't become this whole dramatic, like melodramatic thing of like, what is going on? You know, like her freaking out and everything. Not, she figures it out. Things or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she figures it out pretty like early on. And as, and as like a, as the child that she is, she just accepts it. Yeah, exactly. And, and we as the audience also figure, you know, have figured it out basically from the moment that the, you know, that the other girl says her name is Marion, right? Like you kind of understand what's going on here, um, even if you knew nothing about the movie going in. And so the movie doesn't waste time trying to like, again, trying to over explain things or hide the ball or like try to turn this into some big twist or whatever it just it is what it is we're we see it in much the same way that the character sees it and i think that again speaks to celine siama and just the general fact that you can tell a great story a complete story a completely emotionally fulfilling story in 70 minutes right like you if you know how to make a film if you know how to be efficient with your storytelling and character development you can do something really special in a very limited amount of time and i think that's something we're seeing less and fewer and fewer filmmakers doing today um and i think this was just a wonderful reminder of how nice it can be sometimes to just watch a beautiful tight film where every single you know, shot, image, line of dialogue matters and there doesn't feel like any moment of wasted time or filler. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's really refreshing to, to feel something like that. I also feel like it's way more complicated than just saying directors should be better and make films shorter. I mean, the scope of this film is so narrow. Like this film is just yeah, like yeah. absurdly uh, narrow in scope. Yeah, I'm not saying that like, you know, they, Denis Villeneuve or whatever needs to make Dune Messiah at 85 minutes and it would be better. Um, obviously this story lends itself well to a, um, you know, to being shorter than it is probably wouldn't lend itself as well to being a long film. So I don't mean to like universalize that. However, um, I'm not talking necessarily about turning, a you know, two and a half hour movies into turning everything into 70 minute movies. Sometimes there are movies that are two and a half hours or even two hours, right. That could, um, be, you could knock off 15 minutes or so and. If, if you were just a little more efficient with the, the storytelling. Uh, but that's not true of every single movie. Of Like, again, Dune is an example of a movie that's two hours and 40 minutes long. And I also doesn't don't think really has a wasted minute. Um, so it can be true of films at all length. Um, but I just feel like nowadays it is more the trend to see movies that, like, are needlessly long and which could be shorter. Yeah, that might be the case. Not Not with this one, certainly. I mean, this film is lean and and makes the most use out of it and it, it's one of those films and this isn't this isn't a criticism whatsoever it just like feels like the perfect length right like i was because i was going to frame it differently obviously saying it's perfect length is not a criticism i was going to say it's a film that that feels like you wouldn't want it to really be longer either like you wouldn't want it to be shorter or longer and yeah. it's like the sort of like perfectly goldilocks length that's just long enough to sustain itself and you know i don't know how much more it could have sustained if it had gone longer or it would have felt incomplete if it maybe had been shorter. Like you sure there's all these like little fleeting moments that, you know, on an individual by individual basis, maybe aren't that important, but they, they just lend so much to like the, the soul of the film almost, right? Like to understand all these relationships, there's and these it, little individual moments. 
Yeah, and again, with putting yourself in like the shoes of the characters, again, that's how the interaction for Nelly is with her mother, right? Like it yeah. doesn't last that long. It's a few days, but it's incredibly meaningful and packs a whole lot of emotional weight, just as the film does for us. So it it has it's the right length in order to make us feel that same emotion that Nelly feels, but also make us feel the sort of fleeting nature of it, to use your word, that um, it is just kind of this brief fantasy, this brief moment in time. Yeah. And it seemed like, you know, the world just kind of stopped and allowed this to happen for a few days. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the last thing before we do wrap up, I guess, just back trying to circle back briefly to my to the question I'd asked you and, and give my own thoughts on it. Like, it, it's so interesting to to think about the relationship that she develops, she being Nellie develops with this child version of her mother, Marion in juxtaposition both with you know her present day relationship with her adult mother and those interactions you see that we just talked about between Nellie and her grandmother and there's this like wide ranging diversity and as as important as i think it is to be able to see you know her grandmother and how she interacted with her mother i think it's really also it's you know it's good juxtaposition to see how like, yes, Nellie's experience with her mother is that she's this emotionally distant person. And maybe she learns that maybe that she gets some of that from her grandmother. At the same time, she also, as a child, sees how Marion isn't just that emotionally distant person. She's this, like, really warm, really welcoming person at her core still. And and I think that even though it's not – and you, you get a little bit of it at the end, right? But there is still this, like, depression and sadness, obviously, with having lost her, you know, her own mom, her, you know, Marion losing her own mom at the end of the film. But I think that knowledge that Nellie sort of gleans from getting, being able to witness her her mother be happy, frankly, is something that is really important um, you know, for Nellie to relate to and, and be like, okay, I know this person exists and I, and I now kind of understand why my mother is sad all the time and that I'm not the reason for that. And even though you don't see this, like it really feels like she's able to pro like that being able to process that is like so critical for her relationship with her mother. And I think you see the spark of, of that barrier being brought down, like you mentioned at the end of the film. And it feel, feels like sort of the conglomeration of all those things really brings that together. Um, so, it, I mean, it feels like a jigsaw puzzle that just hits together perfectly. Yeah, totally. The The whole film is definitely, definitely has that feeling about it. I was, I couldn't have been more satisfied when the fade to black hit. Yeah, as they say each other's names too. Brings yeah. tear to the eye. Okay, favorite scene or moment from Petite Mama? I think by the nature of this movie, it's like small things, very small things that stand sure. out. Yeah. Um, so there's a single line that stuck out to me, which is early on when the adult Marion is tucking Nellie into bed and Nellie is kind of peppering her with questions. She says, why do you always ask questions at bedtime? And Nellie says that because that's when i see you and it's one of those perfect things of like a child is just saying what is the truth right like that is literally just what it, what is true it's, to the oh, child it's super the, earnest yeah yeah and, but there is so much there's so much of a strong undercurrent to that that the child doesn't even understand uh, but that we as the audience understand and like um you know, it, it, it would just that line that it just packs so much in there. You, you learn so much from just that line. It reminds me of uh, a scene in the Florida project that I love where Mooney is, um, I forget, I think she's with Jancy maybe and they're outside the hotel and the couple who 
thinks they're going to the nice Disney resort, pulls up and they're checking in. And the woman starts freaking out uh, because when she realizes they're staying at the Magic Castle. And Mooney says, she's about to cry. I can always tell when adults are about to cry. And again, it's one of those things that like she does. She's not even thinking anything about. Uh, why that is why why is it that she can you know always tell when adults are about to cry but there's so much in that one line and i felt the same about this line of petite maman so i loved that moment yeah i sort of already mentioned mine it is another very brief moment a line where she, where you know child marion explains or reassures almost is a better way to put it nelly that you know however depressed or sad marion is as an adult it's not because of her daughter um yeah again i just found that sort of just emotionally shattering both times i saw it because as children you know i don't think it's super insightful to say you see the world around you and you feel like you have a lot more um ability to affect things than than you do especially with those people closest to you so it's a tough reminder sometimes okay out of 10 scott petite maman what's it getting I always say that it doesn't have to be a perfect film to get it done. I think this could possibly be a perfect film. So it definitely gets a 10 out of 10 for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's a great film. 9.4 for me. Really strong film. I don't know if it quite beats Portrait of a Lady on Fire um, between the two of them. But when you're making movies this good, who cares which one's better is sort of how yeah. I feel about it. And with that, that should just about do it for our discussion of Petite Maman. We'll take a short break when we return. We got some news to discuss that includes Richard Linklater's next film, um, as well as James Samuel's next film. So James Samuel's, I don't even. It, Samuel. It, with one it's L. Samuel, but then there's the apostrophe S on the end. Whatever. James oh, right, Samuel's yeah. <laughs> next film. I don't even know. Who knows? We'll discuss that. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As mentioned before the break, we have a couple directors in their next film's topics to discuss. And first, Scott's favorite director, Richard Linklater, has a new film announced. Scott, tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, of course. He is making the uh, the long, yeah. he is playing the long game and making Merrily We Roll Along. Yeah. Uh, but we're not going to be seeing that for another a decade and a half. Um, and and just like that, he did right? with... <laughs> Just like he did with Boyhood. Yeah, I don't know exactly how many years we have left, but uh, just like he did with Boyhood, right? He doesn't stop making other films just because he's also doing this long-term project. Um, and so he released Apollo 10 and a half earlier this year. He uh, is now that we now have some news on his next film, which is going to be called Hitman. No, it is not an adaptation of the video games. Um, although that would have been something uh, to see Richard Linklater's uh, version of Agent 47. That already exists. Um, Isn't there a Hitman movie? There are two, as a matter of fact. Uh, oh there's one with Timothy Oliphant, and then there's one with somebody else uh, playing Hitman. Uh, that was just a few years ago, actually, as I think. But um, oh yeah, no. Uh, Richard Linklater is going to be making a film called Hitman. This is uh, a comedy drama based on uh, a Texas 
Weekly Texas Monthly, I forget what the name of the publication is, um, article about um, an undercover cop who posed as a hitman um, in Texas and then uh, maybe sort of blowing his cover a little bit when he gets involved with the case, a, a case involving some uh, a woman um, who is in some turmoil. Um, this, I think reading this made me think that the film, it, it probably bears the most similarity to in, in um, Linklater's filmography is Bernie uh, from 2011, which was also a movie that was sort of based on this quirky, larger than life true story uh, in uh, in Texas about this mortician who gets charged with um, murder of an old lady. Um, and Glenn Powell is going to be uh, starring in this film, I believe, as the titular hitman slash undercover cop. Um, he, of course, has worked with Linklater multiple times now. He were, he was in Apollo 10 and a half. He had a brief role. And, um, you know, most notably, he was in Everybody Wants Some, which I think was kind of the role which uh, introduced Glenn Powell to movie audiences. And obviously, we're going to be seeing him in one of the biggest movies of the summer, in uh, Top Gun Maverick just uh, in a couple weeks. So, um, so yeah, that um, is exciting to see because, I, I mean, I am in love with his performance and everybody wants some. He's easily the best character in the movie and shows that he has very good comedic chops. So if this does go for a more comedic tone, which it seems like it's going to, I'm going to have no doubt that he can nail it, um, just like Jack Black was uh, really successful in in bernie which is not a movie that i actually love but i do think he gives a great performance in it um so you know this is a, it, i think this is right in linklater's wheelhouse honestly telling these sort of quirky stories set in texas um about interesting people uh so i am expecting great things just as you know he, he delivered this year with apollo 10 and a half another movie that i think was really in his wheelhouse um, so when when we see this one, I will certainly be there on day one and and very much looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I I like Richard Linklater. It, there's no point in comparing how much I like it to you because it's going to be less. But I'm a fan of Richard Linklater. I'm certainly a fan of Glenn Powell. Am excited to see him in Top Gun Maverick. Although I feel like my expectations for the the size of his role is being is being like you know tempered. I guess is the best way to put that. Um, but he's going to be the lead in this movie. Granted, this one's probably not going to come out for a while. You know, maybe next year at the earliest depends on when this is scheduled to shoot. But I'm excited to see him in bigger and bigger roles. This probably isn't going to be a huge movie in the grand scheme of blockbusters and tent poles. Um, sure. But still exciting to, to see him in, in the lead because I feel like, you know, even though maybe he's not a, you know, perennial leading man at this point. I feel like I, sh I wished I'd seen him in more things. And something I want to add to that I just uh, came across is that he is actually co-writing the film with Linklater. Uh, Glenn Powell is, um, which is cool to see. Obviously, Linklater has a history of working with his actors and writing the films. The last two before movies were co-written by Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy and, you know, are some of the best screenplays you'll ever see. So I think... Um, a little bit different he, scenario, you think, for that, right? Unless yeah, Glenn Powell's been an undercover <laughs> cop. Definitely, definitely. I think uh, you know the the types of movies are are different, but uh, you know, I think just in, in talking generally about Linklater as a filmmaker, sure. obviously has a good, good relationship with his actors and invites them to be part of the creative process and encourages them to be part of the creative process too, which is uh, is cool to see. So I'm hoping that 
um, the the you know relationship between him and Glenn Powell here can produce uh, fruit behind the camera as well as in front. Yeah, it's so interesting because I feel like uh, like I, I, I it's so clear to me why Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy would be really important for the creative process in terms of you know because they sort of just embodied those characters so strongly. It's and just them; they're the only they, people in the movie. Yeah, they and they start contributing creatively that makes a lot of sense um i'm curious how glenn powell is contributing to this uh we'll it's like yeah, yeah no dudes rock let's do that <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean it's it's definitely yeah. different but um for sure i mean you know i guess link later felt he had something to offer so yeah no i mean i'm not questioning it. i just think it's i understand it in one scenario i'm not sure i yet understand it in the other i would never question our lord and savior richard Linklater. Yeah, yeah. say i i statements <laughs> <laughs> um cool yeah so another director i wouldn't say he's near the top of my favorite directors list at least not yet but he did yeah. make a film last year james samuel did that i was a very big fan of uh the harder they fall on netflix ensemble african-american cast absolutely ripped um ended up watching it like you know two three four times last year and enjoyed it every single time he and lakeith stanfield he was just announced actually earlier today as a time of recording um, have a project that that's being sold on the can market. We've been getting a lot of can market stories this week about movies and packages being sold. Um, it's a film called The Book of Clarence, uh, which I believe is um, sort of a, a biblical esque satire adaptation type of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's something that I'm really excited about. I'm not sure that there's a ton of information yet about exactly everything that's going to go in to this particular production but just the combination of you know this director who has a you know a pretty apparent style to the way he wants to make his movie movies paired with lakeith stanfield who i thought was one of the strongest performances among a host of strong performances in the film and an actor i think has consistently delivered in almost every film that i've seen him in uh, the one hole being sorry to bother you which was kind of the big first movie that he did i feel like that really kicked off his his prominence. I still need to go back and watch that, but really impressed with everything he's done and excited to see these two get back together for another, I think really so like I hesitate to call the heart of the fall a soulful film, but there's a lot of soul in the movie. I feel like a lot of real sort of life put into it. And I expect, you know, the same for this next adaptation. Yeah. I mean, I love the heart of the fall too. And I'm excited at seeing that this is a biblical epic because we have not yeah. gotten a good biblical epic in quite a while. And there have been attempts, you know, two very significant filmmakers, Darren Aronofsky tried to make one with Noah, Ridley Scott tried to do Exodus, Gods and Kings. Both of them were not well received. Both of them flopped. I don't know that they were necessarily the right directors. Like Aronofsky is a very esoteric filmmaker like his He's last material. movie is one of the most alienating film films like divisive yeah. movies of the 21st century and then you know really scott i think has proven as much as i loved the last duel last year like i don't know that his somewhat straightforward you know historical epics are going to be big successes anymore like that was a great movie that nobody saw um and Exodus, Gods and Kings, I don't even think is considered to be a very good movie at all. I think it's um, I think it's less Ridley and more the genre, to be fair. But yeah, yeah, but that to to that point, that's why I think James Samuel is a great person because I think he can bring that shot in the arm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's a great um, point. I think people, yeah, I think people think of biblical epics and they just think of something boring, right? They, they yawn. Ben yeah, exactly. Ben-Hur yeah. or the Ten Commandments, right? They think of these movies, which, yes, are classics and are, you know, were great in their time, but maybe haven't aged that great, are very long, are probably pretty slow by today's standards. I don't expect They're movies for things. cinephiles. They're not movies for yeah. average Joe who rollicks up to the Marvel movie every three months. I don't expect that James Samuel's movie is going to be any of those things. Now, it may also not be faithful to the Bible itself for people who actually care about that. Um, but I think it will probably be a very entertaining spectacle, um, which is something that, you know, can maybe yeah. liven up the genre. I mean, you know, the last we had The Prince of Egypt, I guess that was 1998. Uh, you know, I, I really like that movie, but I can't really think of one since then that has really deliver obviously the passion of the christ was um you know a head scratcher of a movie from mel gibson but um there again there have been attempts i don't know that there have been successes maybe maybe since the prince of egypt i mean that's the thing right like it feels i mean you say that maybe it won't be you know it, it won't be accurate to the bible i mean the i mean many people are like oh the harder they fall it's like it's like a neo-western right because it's a bunch of you know black men but like those towns existed. Like, I think if you went and had a conversation with James Samuel, he'd really easily be able to explain to you how actually it's really historically accurate. You know, this these sort of like all black towns, um, like the one you see featured prominently in the film, they 100% existed. They just didn't get talked about. Certainly movies weren't made about them. Um, so will, you know, the Bible as it is written, you know... <laughs> be the King faithful, James version. be faithfully yeah. maintained who knows but i i i just have this have this feeling that because i think of a lot of research and energy goes into making things not inaccurate at, at least i'll describe it that way i think that there will be a lot of research done into the biblical setting to not just be this like sort of fantasy adaptation of you know 2 3000 years ago at least that's that's what I would expect, at least. But who knows what will actually play out. The Book of Eli, secret biblical epic. Uh, movie that I actually like. That's an underrated movie. Neither that biblical I, nor epic. I I would disagree. Uh, with would, both sorry, disagree about which part? <laughs> I disagree with both, both of them, yeah, honestly. That uh, again, it's, it is probably a little cheeky to say it's biblical, but if you know what the final twist of the movie it, it is, but, um, but I mentioned that I saw pleasure as well. Um, very attention grabbing thought provoking movie about um, someone entering the adult film industry. Uh, interestingly, we've gotten several movies like set in and around the adult film industry recently, you know, with X obviously this year and then red rocket last year being at least tangentially connected. Um, but they've all been good in their own ways. But yeah, this is more of like, it, the the thing that holds me back from saying it's great is it's maybe disappointingly like conventional sort of rags to riches type story of somebody who, you know, gets involved in the adult film industry and makes it to the top through their own, you know, hard work and determination, but then realizes there's a price with making it to the top. A kind of story we've seen a million times before. Maybe not applied to the setting, which I think is what makes the movie interesting. Um, in addition to some of the very harrowing sequences in the movie, um, but 
I can't say I truly loved it just because there is, it does feel like some of the beats are pretty telegraphed by previous films, pre previous stories of this ilk. So I recommend checking it out. I think it's going to be on VOD fairly soon. Um, so I recommend checking it out on streaming. Um, I think it would probably, it seems like a Hulu movie. Neon, I know, puts a lot of their movies on Hulu. So um, I'm just speculating, but. Um, if it comes there, check it out wherever it comes. I think it's worth checking out from home. I don't think it's one you necessarily need to rush out to see, but um, it is uh, an interesting and provocative one-time watch. Yeah, I mean, usually the way it's sold is is that the you know a film studio's full slate will go to a specific streamer. So I believe that Neon does have that that deal with Hulu, and so unless I'm mistaken, it should be on Hulu at some point, unless unless Hulu just passes on putting it on their service, um, given its unrated nature. Unclear whether, whether they would put it on it. I think that they probably would. It would just have really sensitive parental controls around the film, probably, and maybe they'd put like a content warning at the front yeah. of it. Um, I'm not sure, but my understanding is that Neon's like full slate goes to Hulu after a certain period of time, so... I think it yeah, probably will be there if, if Hulu wants to ingest it as content. Sure. And, you know, they paid for the movie, so might as well. Um, sure. Unless they think it will be damaging to the brand. Like, I don't know, maybe. I mean, putting porn on a streaming service probably isn't the best move. So interesting topic of conversation, maybe. Anyway, Scott, where can people find you on social media? I'm at Scarvydent. You can find me at, at shelton 2013 on Twitter, Letterbox Serialized at all. Don't forget to also check out our podcast, Patreon, at www.patreon.com slash pods. If you can support us over there, we'd really appreciate that. But if not, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen to your podcast, where we'd love it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, all that jazz so we continue to reach a broader audience. And we really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us chat about movies. We'll be back next week with a review of the self-proclaimed inscrutable third film from Alex Garland, plainly titled Men. We hope you'll join us for that. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time.